Welcome to season two of the SCMRC Lead Podcast, featuring epic supply chain lessons from our industry partners. My name is Donnie Williams, and I am the Executive Director of the Supply Chain Management Research Center in the Walton College at the University of Arkansas. Season two of the podcast will be hosted by Mike Grain. Mike is the Director of the Retail Supply Chain Initiative, and this is a strategic partnership within the SCMRC. The goal of this initiative is to surface the challenges and opportunities of on-shelf availability, or OSA, focusing on the concepts, tools, and technologies driving retail OSA. Season two will feature a dynamic guest list of retailers, CPG suppliers, solution providers, and industry leaders to drive collaborative efforts and advance learning within the industry. Thank you for joining and enjoy the podcast. I am super excited today to spend some time with my good friends, Rick West and Henry Ho of Field Agent. I've known Rick and Henry for a little over 33 years, working together, uh, doing different activities in the community, doing ministry together. It's been an incredible opportunity to meet these two guys. Uh, we both started at Procter & Gamble, and we worked together uh, doing supply chain, logistics, technology. Uh, Henry did some work with customer business development as part of the Walmart team, and Rick was primarily focused against the supply chain and operations. Both of them spent some time in uh, Asia, where they also worked together, specifically in China. They came back and uh, literally in 2001 decided they want to be a little bit more entrepreneurial, which both of them are, started their own company called North Star Partnering Group and migrated that to a company called the Field Agent Corporation. Field Agent is a crowdsourced application that allows people, field agents, to go do work in retail stores collecting data, doing customer research, and providing an incredible amount of analytic capability for both retailers and suppliers. Today, we want to talk about the role that store audits play on on-shelf availability and measuring if the product is on the shelf or not. Please welcome Henry and Rick. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here, Mike. Absolutely. It is so good to see you guys again. We have worked together for a long, long time. We got a lot of stories that we can tell. Most of them we probably can't tell on the podcast, but we're not going to do that. Uh, here's the here's the fun thing. Before we get started into um, the, the, the topic at hand, which is what is the role that store audits play on on-shelf availability, here's what I like to ask. We're all customers at the end of the day. I went in a few weeks ago to buy a printer cartridge for my printer and found out that Walmart had all these printer cartridges, but they didn't have the black one I needed. It was a very frustrating experience. I ended up going to Best Buy and finally finally purchasing it. And if they didn't have it, I'd probably go to Amazon. So um, I was frustrated. They t I called. They told me they had it. When I got there, they didn't have it. And, and, and it, just, it just created a really bad customer experience for me. Um, do you guys have any stories similar to that where you anticipate you needed something, you went to get it, and it, they didn't have it, and kind of how'd that make you feel? Because at the end of the day, I think we are all customers as well as industry experts in this area. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for me, my wife and I just had one uh, two weekends ago. Uh, we were going to Branson. We're going to spend uh, some time and so we were stopping by uh, a neighborhood market just to pick up the final few things before we went into, you know, our, our kind of our week long away. 
uh, went into the protein area of the store and Mike, other than a package of, sa- of sausage and literally one package of chicken, it was gone. Now, this wow. was tied to the Friday, Saturday snow plus. But, but again, and so, uh, and you know what, this, know what this is like as a person of faith and someone's trying to, to give back. We looked at it and said, I can't take that last package of chicken. I mean, <laughs> we're going to be those people that's like, look, I've got the last package of chicken. But I looked at Kim and I was like, wow, this is really bad. Yeah, I mean, because it's one, I mean, we talk about printer cartridges and that, listen, that's important, but this is like sustenance. Now we could have gotten frozen chicken and other things, but it just hit us like, this is really down to the basic commodity, basic things for people to live. And Walmart's one of the best in the world. I can only imagine as I get into other areas of the country and other places that if you felt it, you're pretty rural and this happened you start to feel some severe anxiety as to, wow, this is a bigger problem than I thought. And so it just, it was just one of those moments in our life that we looked at each other like, this is a big problem. Yeah. So what'd you do? Did you go down to the spam aisle and get a few cans of that? Or how did you well, solve you know, the problem, right? We, we went the frozen route. Oh, okay. So, you know, we, we would go pick up some frozen you know, chicken. We had our you know grandkids that are going to spend time with us so we could go the nuggets route. But my wife would rather cut up the chicken and do her own. And so we went yeah. the nugget route and we were fine, huh. but, but yeah, but it was just that little emotional point. It said, huh, it actually impacted us. It was the first time that we truly felt it as opposed to, you know what, we'll figure this out. We'll yeah. order something. We'll be fine in a few days, but this was that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's fascinating. I shared this the other day at the class six to eight months ago, nobody knew what a word supply chain meant. Right. No. You never heard the word supply chain. Now that's all you hear. Every news broadcast is supply chain. And the reason, Rick, your chicken was not on the shelf was those boats in the harbor. Those boats in the harbor, we haven't unloaded yet. That's the reason for the supply chain, right? It's comical. It's comical. It's comical. Like, really? Really? Exactly. But you'll see but you'll see that. Well, it's all those shipping containers. They got my chicken. No, I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't think that's where it is. Well, you true. know, there's chicken and then there's, you know, hardware stuff, right? Yes. My 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 experience, I'll talk about my experience with Lowe's. Uh we're doing a home improvement project and <clears throat> went to Lowe's after I'd done some research saying that hey, this item's in the store. The, you know, right? Online told me it was in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I went to the store and it wasn't in the store. Uh, and that talk about frustration upon frustration, right? Right. Cause you think you did the right thing by checking ahead and you show up at the store and it's not in the store. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what do you do? I've, I've made a systemic change overall. The reason I even went to Lowe's was that wasn't something I could get, uh, at Amazon, right. Uh, or I didn't find it at Amazon, but I think that kind of the broader thing is I've stopped going to the stores in general. I buy probably 80% of non-food items online. Mm. I, I just don't go to the stores anymore. You know, I was talking to uh, somebody that worked here, uh, the other day, he says, I can't remember the last time I went inside a Walmart, you know, so you're seeing consumers really starting to shift away from stores depending on category yeah 
Absolutely. Great point. Great point. And and that's a great segue into kind of the next question because we're going to spend some time talking about your company, Field Agent, and the role that you guys play on store audits to understand on-shelf availability. But you also spend a lot of time with customers and customers, and you do research with those shoppers. Help me understand, based on the research you guys are seeing, what is the importance of shelf avail? We've just heard our two examples or three examples, but for today's customer who's shopping in a store, what role does on-shelf availability play and the importance of that to them? I think, Mike, the, to some degree, you are the poster child, okay? And the poster child being is that uh, there, there are... We had a couple of instances where there's no toilet paper, right? Or there's no, I mean, there are a few of those, but those are those are extreme examples of these runs on things. But for the most part, what you start to hear people say is that while I may have had loyalty or have my favorite store, I switched so fast today because if I can't find it here, I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah, switch, Henry's when point. Say, when you mean switch, you don't mean switch a brand, you mean switch a retailer, right? I switch a retailer because if I want what I want, and I can't get what I want for the printer cartridge, or I can't get what I want for this, then I'll switch to Best Buy or somewhere else or eventually go online. And I think if I'm a retailer listening to this, you know, I'm I'm starting to be a little bit concerned. It's like, huh, people are now going to get a taste of other places, whereas before I may have had some loyalty. And if I'm a brand, I think it's the same way. I could look at you know, item A is what I really wanted, and it's not in stock, and I would have never tried the other brand, but I'm willing to try it today. So I think the concept of switching is we think what we we talk to shoppers, switching retailers and switching brands, I think uh, is at an all-time high. Now I don't have a specific number quantitatively to tell you what it is, but the feeling is is that while I had loyalty and I'd like to have it, if I switch from Palm Olive to PNG, who really cares? Or if I go from primary brand to generic, maybe I'll do it because I need it now. And I'll just switch. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to wait two days. Or I'm not going to think it's going to, well, don't worry, it'll be in stock tomorrow. Well, I don't know that it will be. I'm losing confidence. So switching is what we're starting to see to some degree. So, so help me understand the difference, the importance of the category plays. Because I would imagine switching a paper towel, probably not a big deal, right? I need paper towels. If, if Bounty's not in stock, I'll go pick up another private label paper towel, whatever. But when I start talking about categories like hair color or mm -hmm. dog food or things that I'm putting into my body or feeding my family or paying my pet, I'm imagining people become more brand loyal. Is there a is there a difference in the category in terms of whether you switch to go to another retailer or switch to another brand? Yeah, I think that think of it in timing. So part of it, let's, let's use mascara as an example because I was talking with this with someone the other day is that if I'm out and I've got to go out tonight, you'd be surprised how quick I went because I, I have to have it. I have to have this as opposed to I'm looking for something. I'm running low. I may wait longer because I am loyal to the brand and I'll find other alternatives to that. So when you get into more of high consumption, quick turn pieces and I need it now, you might need to to switch and do it pretty quick. I mean, we're not talking about computers here and TV. I mean, there are things you would wait for. But uh, much like the the chicken or the print, if, if you needed the ink cartridge, you needed the ink cartridge, and you had to have it today, and you waited that long or you went out of stock, you'd switch because you had that need needed to be met that day. Two years ago, 
that was such a non-conversation because within that category, I guarantee you they had her or they said, listen, I'm going to go to the back room and pull it out. I mean, it was just right there today. There's a pretty good chance of, well, I don't know when I'm going to get that. And the number of times I've heard that at retail is like, we don't know. I mean, if, look at the, the rage today, COVID test. I don't know. Great point. I mean, I never thought I'd be ordering a COVID test in the U.S. Postal Service. You had to be kidding me. <laughs> but but you go to a Walmart or to a Harps or to a Walgreens, and the signs are on the door when you walk in, don't even ask us. Right. We don't have this. Right. And that is pressing important today. And I may have been concerned and interested in the type of test, but I don't care right now. I just need something. And I think that's more of a norm, and that's what's changing, I think, behavior. And I don't know how quickly it's going to go back, Mike. That's great perspective. Great perspective. Henry, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I think I think the, sh- the research says switching is happening, I think, Rick's point. Um, and, um, you know, it hasn't really changed that much. I mean, in some ways, um, you know, availability has always been an important part it's just more acute right um and so i think if you look at it over time yeah there you're going to see probably movement in the data uh across shoppers because it's more acute than ever but availability has always been an issue right we've been in the industry now for 40 years that's right mike 40 years um and um you know, availability is important. It's always been important to shoppers. Yep. That's a great point. So let me switch a little bit. So the customer part of the research you do, I think, is very helpful for a retailer and a brand owner to understand the impact of on-shelf availability and a lot of other factors as well. Help me understand the role that you guys play and specifically your company plays, field agent, when it comes to auditing shelves for either CPG brand owners to understand their current on-shelf availability or retailers or both. Kind of what role do you play and what are some of the things that you're seeing from uh, from an industry point of view? Yeah, Mike, I think um, the role we play is we provide the eyes and the ears, right, to what's going on in the store. And, um, you know, the scale of uh, retail and CPG these days, you know, uh, if you got distribution in Walmart, you're in over 4,000 stores and nobody really, including the retailer, really has collective eyes uh, to understand the situation in their their chain. And if you're a CPG uh, company, uh, then you don't know what's going on really across the entire country. And what we do at Field Agent is we provide people with that capability to see what's going on in the shelf on the, for their category and what shoppers think about what's going on, like things that we've just talked about. And so, um, you know, there's a there's an old adage, you can't fix what you can't see, right? Um, and what we do is we provide the visibility about what's going on so that you have an opportunity to analyze the data and then decide a strategic direction to fixing either an acute right now kind of problem or a systemic problem. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Um, the the idea behind that of using people to measure in-store conditions, because you're right, the eyes are ultimately going to tell you if it's there or not. We, we use a lot of other technologies and 
robots and RFID technologies and algorithms, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I think where your stuff comes really into play very well was those items that are critically important to the customer, but are low enough velocity that things like algorithms ain't going to work, right? Yeah, because you can't, you can't use an algorithm on something that sells one or two a month. You just can't tell if it's out of stock or not. So why is the model that you guys are different, different than any other of the service providers, the Acostas or the Crossmarks? I mean, they do the same thing why would somebody not use them instead of using you guys yeah we're kind of the the coverage cost and speed guys uh, if, if i'm if i'm a um a w2 driven versus a crowdsourcing driven or if i'm a, a more of a legacy company um, i'm going to be in stores every week for the thousand stores but the other 2500 i'll get there every three or four weeks or every two or three weeks uh, it's the old adage, if you remember the movie Top Gun, and mm-hmm. it's the end of the movie, and they're trying to get, you know, Maverick's jet come up the ramp. He said, hey, the catapult's broken. We're going to get repair it in 10 minutes. He said, 10 minutes, this thing's over in two. Mm-hmm. He said, fix the catapult. Well, that's yeah. that's where we come in. It's like, hey, don't worry. I'll get to that in two or three weeks. And you're like, are you kidding me? Based on the, and you say the keyword velocity, based on the velocity and importance of my item. If I don't understand and fix that today, and we have eyes and plus we can actually help people fix. If I can't see and fix it today, it's already over. And you look at the magnitude of that. So we understand that there will always be a role for that legacy system to handle the big machine to go drive that. There will always also be an opportunity for us to come alongside, especially the low velocity guys, high high you know price, low velocity guys, to say, by the time your algorithm figures this out, you're done because a retailer is not going to let you keep that big square open where there's no inventory. They're going to move. Facings are going to change. All that's going to change. And the algorithm's important for the 80% of those products. But for those other 10, 20%, by the time the algorithm figures it out, you're three, four weeks in of nothing on the shelf. And we all know you're huge, huge trouble. So that's number one. The second thing is, especially for the folks listening to this. And, you know, if you think about the supply chain guys coming in, um, not everyone can afford to spend millions of dollars a year for coverage. So for the other 90,000 brands that are out there that don't have a contract with a big brick and mortar, what are you going to do? You're going to continue to hope. You're going to continue to, well, I really hope that someone's paying attention. Mm -hmm. So we come alongside in near real time to give great coverage cost of speed to virtually every supplier that could be in a retailer today. And that's where they can kind of breathe easy because they don't have to sign a million dollar contract to make that happen. And that's our sweet spot. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, um, I'm going to let Ben ask a question here, but I've got a question, Ben, for you first. Were you even born when the movie Top Gun was done? Just just kind of throwing out there because we use that Top Gun analogy and yeah. we're all laughing like, well, of course we know what that is. But were you even born? No, I don't think I was. I mean, let me let me just Google here. <laughs> it would have been in the 80s, uh, yeah, like 84, okay. 85. Yeah, yeah absolutely not. not mismade by... Way to know your audience, Rick West. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> you missed me by uh, a lot of years. Uh-huh. Oh, I love it. Well, but it's a great movie, and you should go see it. It exactly. I, I mean, it's always one of, been one of those movies that you got to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Most of the references pass over my head. Oh, wait for wait for Top Gun two to come out. It's coming out sometime anyway. But 
Ben, you're sitting here listening to this as a supply chain student, and and we spent some time earlier in the week kind of presenting some of the ideas behind the importance of on-shelf availability. I want to open it up to you, see if you have any questions for, for either Rick or Henry. Well, I, I do have some questions. I was wondering, the way the you know, supply chain has been advancing, do you ever see availability becoming a non-issue? Like availability being so on target that most consumers never have to even consider it. Ben, I, I think that's that's a great question, and I think some some people in in the technology world will will think that they can solve that. Um, I think the answer for me is no. Uh, you know, availability will always be an issue for a variety of reasons. Um, but um, just the nature of, of uh, keeping working capital down, right, and inventories down just in time, um, all, those, all those dynamics uh, will always create outages, you know, when, when supply, uh, you know, demand and supply change on, on you. And so, but can it get better? Yes. Um, so that, that would be my answer. Yeah, you know this if, if you've had any, you know, physics courses, you know, this that that little law about a equal equal and opposite reaction kind of thing commits where Henry's kind of implying um, when you're living in the world that we lived in pre-COVID specifically, when everything was a well-oiled machine, it was just everything was like clockwork. Your safety stock continues to go down. You're less concerned, you're less concerned, you're less concerned. And when you have a little tweak and the tweak happens and, and, and the poster child for this uh, was toilet paper, bath tissue, there are finite machines that are running 24 seven. And then and the, the actual true consumption of toilet paper and paper towels didn't change. But when you have a blip and the blip happens and it starts going back on that safety stock, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't go out and spend 20, $30 million this week and go build a line and get it up in a week. That's that's a multi-year capital conversation. And oh, by the way, two months from now, consumption is going to level out again. Why would I do that? You find that with bicycle components. Shimano is telling us, hey, I'm not going to go build a new plant because you guys in America said that you wanted to go buy a bunch of bikes over COVID and you drove my supply chain crazy. So the, those competing aspects of things are always going to be kind of kind of tough and it's going to be ebbing and flowing. So I think Mike started out the conversation by saying, if you ignored supply chain in the past, you're going to understand not only do they need a seat at the table, is that you're going to go back and look at all those emails, remember all those meetings where they kept saying, be careful, because we're getting so close to the edge that any abnormality is going to put a wrench in the system. They're like, ah, we're fine. We're saving money. We're tight. We'll, we'll be good. And those conservative guys are like, well, we probably went a little bit too far. Now, pendulum swing, right? I mean, that's what happens, Ben. So I think you're going to see it swing, not to massive out it, uh, in stock or safety stock, but you're going to see a little bit more conservatism kick back a little bit, especially for those items that are quick turn, long lead time. You're going to see a little bit of conservatism kick in. Yeah. yeah the, the other thing, Ben, I think history, we, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast that, hey, if you look at historically availability and supply chain issues have been around forever, right? Um, and over 40 years, 
you can argue that despite the, the investment of millions of dollars every year and billions of dollars through um, through 40 years, the supply chain uh, system has actually gotten worse, um, probably not better, right? And and so that that would be a great deep research when you do your PhD, you know, <laughs> uh, why after spending billions and billions of dollars over decades, the supply chain hasn't gotten better. Now, it's going to require some bold initiatives and, and new vision to solve for getting it better. Um, and I think that's the opportunity before us. Right? You can't keep doing the same old thing, expect different results. And, and for decades, people have been doing the same old thing. Now, that's really interesting that uh, you mentioned that the supply chain's gotten worse because I've never heard that from one of my teachers. Could you, could you go into a little bit more depth on what you mean by that? Well, we have all these great computer systems uh, managing inventory, right? And, and you know, look, look where we are. I mean, again, COVID's, you can say COVID's a, a blip, right? In, in over a two-year period, over 40. But even pre-COVID, out-of-stocks were going crazy, right? Um, and part of it is consumer behavior has changed. Um, and... Uh, when you go into a, a Walmart and you see what the shelves look like in the morning, well, what's happening in the industry these days is the picking for these online orders take place early in the morning. And so the demand or the, the, the supply chain is being pushed to an early part of the day. It used to be at the end of the day, your shelves were decimated. Now, many shelves are picked over by, by 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. And it looks even worse at the end of the day after shoppers come in and shop the brick and mortar way, right? And so there's a lot of changes that's creating pressure into the supply chain, but it hasn't gotten better. Yeah. So Ben, from a history standpoint, you know, Mike can speak to this because he was one of the pioneers in this is that um, th there are a few step changes that have happened over the years. One would be the one with Mike was involved in, Henry was the that vendor managed inventory of really taking control all the way back through the system. And those are step changes. Um, but what you find is, is that in, in general, supply chain is still fairly simple. You make it, pack it, ship it, right? I mean, it's just relatively straightforward. Uh, and so then you can go back and look at lead times where it comes in. So it's, it's basically the same thing. So there will be a step change that will happen again. And I'm not sure what that next one will be uh, that will make folks think, huh, this is really going to make a major change in how things play out. And I think it's going to be primarily driven with that lead time sourcing. I mean, we've gone so far with sourcing that if you're sourcing from China, you can't make a decision today. Well, will you see more sourcing come back into the U.S.? Maybe, maybe. Uh, will you see variety go down some so where you've got less skew proliferation? So I can make three items. I've got a friend of mine that's in the... Uh, analgesics category and say, gosh, I've got 24 sizes and items, but I'm in stock right now on three because the other 21 are like, eh, because it was just different price points. And so it forces that. So you'll see those kind of things change because the system is fairly uh, consistent over time. And so maybe that's the, the big change we see over the next couple of years is just variety get a little bit tighter. Like, okay, I can now handle that versus making it broad. But Henry's point, great, great paper for you when you do your PhD. That's right. 
That's right. Thank you. So, so let me uh, let me transition to a, to a couple things here. The, the first is, I think, most importantly, is g- give me some practical, real live examples of the work that Field Agent does to help CPG understand the store audits. Because to bend your point, we're always going to be out of stock. We would love to have an environment where out of stocks go away. That's not reality. If you think all of us are waiting to retire when we figure that out, that isn't going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. But but field agent plays an important role. And I do, I do want you guys to talk about it and promote your business a little bit because I believe you play an incredibly important role, especially for those lower velocity items, to help retailers. Give us an example of what kind of output would that look like in terms of I need to understand if my I'll make it up Procter and Gamble oil delay product is in all the Walmart stores what do you do what give us some practical things that you guys do to collect that data and then provide that data back to your paying cup customer which would be in this case P&G well, I think a little bit is uh, we can also give a little bit of the why outside of an algorithm so let's use the OLA okay. as an example so you go out and we do check, we physically check, you know, 2,500 stores. And when you look at those stores, then the question, well, it's not there. Well, the algorithm kind of hinted I had a problem. Well, then I can tell you, was the price tag up? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I've asked a store associate, is it in the back room? No, or yes. I mean, so, so, so part of what we can do is give a little bit of the why as to how something's happening or no, it's there's three items on the shelf. You're like, so that Phantom inventory thing is real, Mike? Huh? <laughs> I mean, so 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 part of that is the why that, that's an aspect to it. And that's that core item. But I'll also look at the the promotional side of it as well. It, it's an out of stock, but it's not. It's that, hey, I've sent a display in. And if that display doesn't get out within one or two days and four or five weeks, they're going to be another display in. And I've missed one or two weeks of selling. In theory, that's a that's an out of stock of sorts because I still have the one facing on the shelf, but I've got a display ready to come out. And if I don't get that out there, it, it feels the same way. It's like, wait a minute, why isn't my display selling? Well, because it's kind of a out of stock. It's not on the shelf. And those are the things that we start to see that requires more near real-time wise. So I can figure out what I need to do to solve it. And that's kind of where we come into play. Yeah, I think Rick Rick hit on this near real time concept, right? Um, and and um, with with field agent and and kind of where we're going is uh, we want to create a marketplace where people can come in and ask that question about what's going on with my product in store, go in and launch an audit, right? Within minutes. Uh, of hitting our website. And so there's no more, I have to call my rep who then has to call their team and you know maybe a week or two later, go out and get that information. We are creating a, a, a way, a platform in which people can ask the question and get an answer back overnight or within, oh, yeah, or within a few hours even, depending on the situation, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, the model that we've created allows for that. The second point I would say is the thing that differentiates a field agent is the quality of the data that you get back, right? Uh, we take great pride in saying, hey, we, we only give you good data. You know, the, the, 
the quality and the speed combined, you know, together says you can act on this data, you know, and it's store level kind of, it's not an aggregate kind of number, right? Uh, so we get down to the store level with quality data, with speed. And now if you're ready to act on it, which we're, we're working with clients to do that and say, if we give you that data, can you act on it and send arms and legs into the store next morning, for example, and get that problem taken care of, right? That's never been available. And that's those are the systems and processes we're looking to create, Ben, for the future, uh, where, hey, identify the problem, fix it right away. Um, and, and that is our new news is yeah. that like we're finally at a point where we've got the right partnerships in place so that we can also do the fix. So we can check quickly, the marketplace is there, this is what's going on and actually create a fix as well. Uh, and, and we're gonna see uh, as this thing continues to progress, they're gonna talk about the other 90,000. Again, if, if I'm a big player, I've got all kinds of bodies. I mean, they're, they're, when I call, they're, they'll do anything I want them to do. The other 90, 100,000 people that are out there, they can have the same power of a Unilever PNG as a craft. They go to our marketplace, and within hours, next day, they've got amazing data and a fix coming their way. And that simply wasn't available a year or so ago. It just wasn't. And so that's revolutionary for our clients to be able to get that kind of access. That's, that's game-changing, guys. You're telling me that I was out of stock at an oil of a light three weeks ago? That's not real helpful. No. Telling me I was out of stock like yesterday so I can fix it today? That's a game-changer. Henry and Rick, thank you guys so much for your time. I really, really do appreciate it. And and I think you're an important tool in the retailer and supplier tool bag to, to figure out what's really going on the shelf because there are so many issues. Ben, to, to your question, do you think it'll ever go away? It's never going to go away from my perspective. It'll never go to a point where it's a, 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 a no longer an issue. It's always going to be an issue. And I think... You know, t people like Henry and Rick have thought through this enough to create solutions to get that product back on the shelf. So, guys, thank you very much for your time. We really you, do guys. appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, to uh, continuing the journey with you. You bet. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Thanks, Ben. We'll see you. See you, Ben. Thank you for taking the time for this epic discussion. A special thanks to Mike Grain for leading the Retail Supply Chain Initiative. On behalf of the Walton SEMRC, we are delighted to lead with you as we learn, engage, address, and develop all things supply chain to lead the world of commerce from Northwest Arkansas. Have a great day.